3: First of all, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Now, you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can have it heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.com fm to get started
4: it's let's ride time for the words that are recited before each and every game here at dodger stadium take it away man. it's time for dodger baseball
3: What's up, everyone? Thank you for checking out another episode of The Incline. We're recording on a Monday. It's August 10th. The Dodgers are going to open up a four-game series with the Padres. We'll get to that later. But I just wanted to first say we got a very exciting episode today. We're going to be joined in about 10 minutes by former Dodgers all-star Sean Green. Let me repeat myself. Sean Green. I mean, what Dodger fan didn't love Sean Green if you watched that team in the 2000s, so... Stay tuned for that. So, the current Dodgers, they're actually playing pretty well, despite what you might read on social media from time to time. They yeah. have an 11-5 and record. They're only a half game behind the Colorado Rockies for first place in the NL West. They just beat the Giants two out of three. I know that Kershaw start may have, may have been a little disappointing. We'll touch on that in a second.
1: But, Jake, how's everything going? It's going great, Kevin. And I'm glad you got, I'm glad you talked about the uh, sort of the overwhelming fear that, th- that lives on social media and on Twitter, because it, if you would just read the tweets on, on Dodgers, Twitter, for example, like the, just, everybody tweeting about the Dodgers, you'd think that they were in dead last. And for this team to be 11 and five, and I I was sort of thinking like this team is 11 and five and they haven't even hit their stride yet. So this is not even the best version of this team. And
5: I have a few few stats that I'll rattle off in a minute, but those are my initial thoughts. All right, David, what's up? How's it going, Kevin? How's it going, Jake? Um, Yeah, I mean, you said it. This Dodgers team is 11 and five. Uh, and they're not even playing well. So that basically tells you everything you need to know. Uh, the hitter, the, the offense is, you know, scattered. It's not quite there yet. The same with the pitching. Uh, you know, Bueller looked pretty decent aside from the control issues. Kershaw's still getting his feet under him. Striplings look good. Arias has been kinda good, kinda shaky. He hasn't given up a lot of runs. And then Dustin May, man, looked great. Looked great against the Padres. I've been saying it yeah. for a year and a half, two years now. Uh, he looks like the future superstar that he is. Uh, so, you know, this team's going to get their feet under him. It's a shortened season. They'll be fine. Uh, the only question is, their only threat, honestly, is the three-game series in the first round of the playoffs. Because anyone can win in a three-game series. So, I mean, there's no reason to panic right now. Like we've all said, they're 11-5 and five and they're not even playing that well. Yeah. Uh, so they just got to hold on and, and play well in that first, uh, first round series of the playoffs. Touching up on some
3: recent news, Joe Kelly was placed on the injured list. The injured list, quotation marks. So he's going to be out for about 10 days. Adam Kolarik, who was recently sent down, is now back with the team. Corey Seager still nursing that back strain as well, and he Mm -hmm. is day-to-day. He has not been placed on the IL just yet. He missed the entire Giants series. And then Alex Wood, he's throwing a bullpen session. Not going to say anything mean about Wood out there, but you know, get well soon, and we'll see what your role is. Because Dustin May, as David predicted, is just running away with that starting job. And then I also want to just give Jake some props. I think one of your preseason predictions was AJ Pollock was going to have a nice season, and look at him so far. He's got four home runs. He's tied in the
1: club lead for Dodger. That was runs. that was so, actually my scolding hot take before. Yeah. This, the, before this season is that A.J. Pollock was going to have a career
5: year and so far he is. He's OPSing over a thousand.
1: Um, just to touch on A.J. Pollock real quick if I could since okay. we're on the subject. So in 2015 that was arguably his best season with the Diamondbacks. He was an all-star. He won a gold glove. He actually finished 15th in MVP, MVP voting. So that that just just to give you an idea, and through the first eleven games, it's pretty similar in a lot of ways. This year is better. So f- through the first eleven games in 2015, he hit uh, 333, 422 on base, 487 slugging, 909 OPS. He had a he had a home run, six RBIs, five walks, and 13 hits. So pretty good to start off that year. But this year he's hitting 311, 354. 667 on base percentage and an OPS like David mentioned of 1.021 over a thousand four home runs nine RBIs three walks and 14 hits he is hitting out of his mind and good thing too because a lot of the Dodgers prominent stars i.e. Cody Bellinger are getting and Max Muncie are a little slow to start this season
3: yeah it's a little rough for Bellinger he has a 235 on base percentage but I'll just make my, my shot right now. I think Cody Bellinger is going to go off against the Padres, but I know David's got some things to say, so I'll, I'll pass the torch.
5: Yeah, this is a big uh, series in the sense that it will be a benchmark for this team. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. is playing out of his mind right now. I think he has a homer in four out of the last four games. Um, the Padres are good. There's, there's no denying it anymore. They're good. Uh, their pitching staff, and their bullpen isn't as hyped up as you know it, it was. Isn't living up to the hype as it as they had in the preseason. Uh, but they got some guys who can throw, uh, and obviously their their offense is is clicking right now. So it'll be interesting interesting to see what Bellinger does. Betts is playing well. Bellinger and Muncie, once they get going, no one's no one's stopping this juggernaut. And it's interesting to note uh, that over the last four four or five years. The day after or, or, you know, the weeks after Justin Turner hits his first home run is traditionally his hottest part of the season. Once he hits that first home run, he's he's hot for the rest. Uh, And that home run was hit, I believe, two days ago. So we'll see. Uh, They they're 11 and five and not even playing well. So, you know, they're, they're fine.
1: And we found out the other day that Muncy actually broke his finger during, during summer camp. So he's He's hit four home runs. He he's not, he's not hit well, obviously, but when you put that into context, he's actually, you know, he hit four home runs out of the park with a broken finger or recovering from one at least. So give these guys time. Muncy's a great hitter. He's going to come around.
5: Absolutely.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, he still has a 311 on base percentage. That's what stood out to me. Even though he's batting at a 177 click, he's still seeing the ball relatively well. So I'm also a big fan of him not leading off anymore, but at the same time, yeah. I'm a little frustrated that Jock Peterson's leading off. Yeah. I know yeah. He's... That
1: wasn't the, that wasn't the issue. We didn't need to replace <laughs> uh, <laughs> Max Muncy with Jock Peterson. We needed Bets to be moved up. Yeah. And Betts, or, sorry. And Peterson,
3: that one game when he just went off against San Diego, the two home runs, the five RBIs, he wasn't batting leadoff. He was hitting sixth or seventh, I want to say. And ever since they moved him back up to the leadoff, he's in a slump. He's now down to a 195 batting average. So Dave Roberts is trying to just force something that's not working. And I'll leave it at that.
1: Yeah, I, I just – I I don't get it. I don't get what what why they're continuing to do that. It's it just – with with Peterson and Muncy, they're not they're not fast. They're not leadoff hitters. They've never been you know good decent leadoff hitters. And you get a once in a generation player like Mookie Betts, who historically has had better numbers hitting leadoff. It makes absolutely no sense.
5: I don't I don't mind him in the two hole necessarily, as long as Jock is leading off and not Muncy. Muncy needs to be in the heart of the order, or at least in the two spot no matter if with the broken finger or not. I mean, that dude, you know, as, as you mentioned, he's got four home runs. He can, he can hit with a broken finger. Yeah.
1: And I just wanted to uh, go through some of these stats because a lot of people have been saying that the Dodgers are not as good as they are. And to their credit, the Dodgers have not been playing as well as we expected them to play. And they're still 11 and five. So we've said that already, but what I want to well, want to share, which I I found quite shocking when I was looking this up, is that they lead all of baseball in runs per game at 5.44. They're tied mm-hmm. for first in home runs at 29, tied for second in RBIs at 84. They are third in the majors in team slugging at 4.48 and fourth in OPS at 7.65. So those are really great numbers for and a the one run
5: differential as well.
1: Exactly, and the one thing that we have talked about with the Dodgers in terms of their struggles has been hitting with runners and scoring position. And looking at these numbers, they're not terrible either. Yes, they are, you know, only hitting 256 with runners in scoring position, which is 13th in, in, in the majors, but they're sixth in slugging with runners in scoring position at 481 and fifth in OPS at 842. So that's not terrible. Now where, where we do get into uh, why these numbers may look the way that they do is if you look at just two players, Cody Bellinger and Justin Turner, Justin Turner historically has hit well with runners in scoring position. No different this season. He's hitting three thirty three a, a, uh, over a thousand OPS, one Homer, a double, a triple and 11 RBI. So the, he's not the problem. And he's hitting in the middle of the order. The problem has been Cody Bellinger who is also hitting in the middle of the order. He's hitting 154 Two for thirteen, no home runs, two RBIs, and one walk. So that's why you see those numbers sway and 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 kind of look a little weird when you when you break them down. But if they can figure that out and manufacture runs and not have to rely so heavily on the three-run home run like we saw yesterday with Pollock and Betts, look out because th- once the team gets it together, it's I don't think we're we're ever going to look back.
5: Yeah, and if we're, if we're on the topic of stats, I might as well give you guys a Dustin May stat right now since, you know, I'm president of that fan club. Um, pitches thrown in 2020 with a velocity of 98 miles per hour plus and more than 1.5 feet of horizontal movement. Dustin May has 40. The rest of the MLB has 34.
1: Yeah, that's a crazy stat. And, yeah. and, I, and I love, I keep watching that. That highlight over when he struck out Manny Machado. Oh, my God. That pitch moved like 15 feet. I mean, it was insane. It was wizardry. Yeah, Manny
3: Machado had one hit against the Dodgers in that previous series. So, definitely key to keep him off the base paths. Well, he just hit two
5: home runs off washed up Madison Bumgarner yesterday. Boy, what a mistake that was. (laughs) <laughs> or, uh, we dodged a bullet, too, by not, by not getting yeah, it. Yeah, I remember all the Dodger fans who wanted to sign Madison Bumgarner, and that deal could not look worse for Arizona right now. Bumgarner and Robbie Ray have a combined
3: DRA of over nine, so their starting staff is not living up to the expectations. But yeah, we don't need to talk about Arizona. They're irrelevant right now. That's right. Back to the Dodgers and the Padres. So Luis Perdomo is the first scheduled starter at, at the moment. And Bellinger is six for eight lifetime against him, so that's why I think this is hopefully the series where he starts to turn it around. And then Dustin May, he's on the bump as well. David already mentioned he had a, his career game, six innings pitched, eight strikeouts. So it's really exciting to see what he's going to bring to the table in his next outing. And then Fernando Tatis Jr., the hottest Guy on the Padres, what was it? Two home runs he hit He, get, he hit against the Dodgers in that series? At least it yeah, felt like it.
5: He's a superstar, right? Eric
3: Cosmer, he's back off the IL, but I don't know if they want to play him because that Jake Cronenworth guy sure put a number on him, on them <laughs> randomly.
1: But, you know, other than that, I think... I, I swear to God, I saw that guy and I was like, is this like
5: a Road to the Show player that they just created? I've never heard of this guy. Yeah, he might as well be on the Giants roster. <laughs>
3: But, yeah, it's, it's going to be an exciting series. And then after that, they're going to face the Angels. And I have another guest lined up, my friend, good friend Jane. So she'll be on shortly in another episode. But the thing I do want to talk about real quick before we get to the Sean Green interview, Clayton Kershaw in his last outing against the Giants, essentially a A lineup. What do you think just went wrong? For me, I think the location just wasn't there. He wasn't getting the ball where he wanted it to actually be and random players like Austin Slater just took him deep. Do you think Kershaw is going to
5: rebound or is this kind of a little foreshadowing of what's to come? No. Um he'll rebound. This is nothing to worry about. If you remember last year in 2019, I'd say like 60% of his runs given up last year were on solo home runs. Uh, that's just that's just what that's just what he is right now. Um, you know, he avoided it in the first game, his first start, but He's a different pitcher. Uh, The velocity is up. So I would, I would agree with you that it was just, you know, the control and and missing some spots. Uh, Although your boy Austin Barnes was behind the plate. And I was told that that wasn't possible if he was behind the plate. Um, So they'll be fine. Kershaw is going to be fine. One start, three home runs, three runs, not even that big of a deal.
1: Also this being his second start after an injury um, that he suffered uh, on opening day. So, Again, I agree with David. I'm not worried about him. I love the way he looked against Arizona, even though Arizona is not a great team, but they have a pretty good lineup. They do. Um, And I'm not worried about it. I think if we hadn't had that first game against Arizona and this was his first game, I think we'd be seeing a little bit differently. But uh, honestly, he's one of the guys I'm, I'm not really worried about.
3: I'm not worried either. All
1: right, as promised, Jake... I'm going to let you set this up. All right, guys. We are so thrilled to be joined by Dodgers legend, Sean Green. Sean, how you doing, man? Welcome to the program.
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Of course, man. Of course. So if you guys are listeners out there, if you guys need a refresher, Sean Green was a two-time All-Star, Gold Glove, and Silver Slugger award-winning outfielder. In his 15-year Major League career, he played for the Blue Jays, the Dodgers, Diamondbacks, and Mets. He holds the Dodgers franchise record for most home runs in a single season when he hit 49 in 2001. And in 2002, he became the 14th player in Major League history to hit four home runs in a single game. I'm sure you've all seen the highlights of that. And he also set the record for most total bases that day with 19. Sean, how did that sound? Did that sound like a good representation of your career?
2: I mean, those are the best parts. There's a lot of down parts, but I'm happy you <laughs> didn't talk about those. Yeah.
1: I know. In baseball, you, you fail more times than you succeed, so I understand that. Um, first, I want to start off by talking about this sort of weird 2020 season we're having so far. There's been a few delays, a few stoppages, no fans in the stands. It's been kind of bizarre. Just kind of want to get your thoughts so far, watching some of the games. What, are your, what have been your takeaways?
2: Yeah, it's it's a bizarre year I think in in so many ways, but um it, I think it, like like all fans right now I'm I'm excited to at least have um baseball and other sports back on TV, have something to um you know to to look forward to watching and enjoying and and kind of keeping keeping tabs of. Um it, I think without the fans in the stands, it's it's definitely bizarre. I kind of I've kind of come to like the cardboard cutouts and wishing yeah. I had one up there, but um you know it's it's pretty fun to see different people in the stands and and uh it, you know it, when you kind of are half watching a game it, it actually looks looks pretty real so that's cool but i think uh you know it's it's such a different vibe this year aside from all that just the fact that it's a 60 game season and there's some rule changes such as the extra innings and all that that every game is really important and and uh you know hopefully they can keep the guys in the field there's been a couple of little little outbreaks but um, if they can manage to finish the season, it'll be fun to see um, what type of uh, feedback they get from, from fans and players.
1: Yeah, of course. And you mentioned some of the new rules, the extra inning rules with a runner on second base. We've also seen some seven inning double headers, the DHs in both leagues. So as a player, if you were playing today and had to implement all these new rules into your game, how do you think you would react and what do you think of these rules so far?
2: Yeah, I think they're they're definitely interesting. That in minor leagues you always played seven inning doubleheaders, headers, um, which was from a playing perspective was much better because uh, uh, two nine inning games. Sometimes one of them goes extra innings. That could be, um, you know, pretty a pretty hard toll on your team and on individually. Um, if you're one that has to play in both games or gets to play in both games, depending how you look at it. Um, so I think that one's interesting. I think the extra inning rule, um, I. I Kind of used to be more of a purist, but now I, I actually think it, it adds more excitement to it. I, I, I'm kind of liking it, um, but you know, we'll see what the feedback is. And I, I just think it, I've played in games that have gone close to 20 innings, and, and that's no fun either. The only people left are the, the drunk, um, you know, 25 year olds in the stands that, that are <laughs> determined to stay the whole game. And at that point, when you're playing right field, you're getting just absolutely crushed because they're the words get more slurred and, and more uh, vulgar as as uh, the the hours pass and the, the the beers continue to pile up so i I think it it has baseball could use a little um, a little freshen up I think in some ways from a fan's perspective and this is a good year to experiment and see what sticks
1: yeah. And you're not talking about any of us. None of us would be in the, in the outfield heckling or getting <laughs> right. sloshed like that. So no, of course. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely, you know, a new era we're playing in. We'll see what rules stick this year and carry over to next year. Um, the, the Dodgers have assembled a, a pretty much a juggernaut of a lineup. Uh, their pitching has been great. The bullpen has been lights out. Um, Can you kind of give your impressions on the team so far? I know we've seen you on Sportsnet LA as an analyst. I just kind of want to get your thoughts so far uh, on the team this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's it's a tremendous team. You know, I I think I'm going into this season. I was feeling like the loss of Ryu. And uh, even though with the addition of bets, I think the lineup, you already scored so many runs. I wasn't as excited about losing a pitcher and gaining a hitter. But, now Betts has been awesome, and I think his leadership and the balance he brings to the lineup as another strong right-handed bat is, is huge, especially with some of the some of the guys struggling early on. You know, it's, it's obviously not too many at-bats at this point, but um, to have a, a veteran like that um, who's been through one of the toughest markets and won in one of the toughest markets, I think that's, that's a huge off the field as, as much as is on the field. And then and you lose Rio, but I think May is showing what he has the potential to do, and um, as you know, as a team, you want to keep getting younger and adding top talent, like teams like the Braves did in the '90s when I was playing, and the Yankees did. They kept, you know, everyone talks about Yankees spending all that money, but you look at their success was they were bringing up guys each year, whether it was, you know, Rivera and and Pettit, and then Jeter, and Posada, and then Cano. I mean, they kept bringing talent up, and that's what where the Dodgers are at right now. And I think you kind of get you get into that place where you're winning your division every year and you continue to have this strong farm system, you're willing to spend the money on a Mookie Betts and you can put yourself in position to win a world series. One of these times they're going to be in that postseason season and get hot at the right time.
1: Yeah, and let's, and let's hope that does happen at some point. I just want to point out that you um, definitely made David's day. He is the biggest Dustin I, May fan there is out there. So he,
5: I'm sure I, he liked that. No, I did. I've been, Preaching for Dustin May for about two years now, so it's good to get some validation from a, from a former pro on that end.
2: Yeah, and I, I watched uh, his start against, against the Padres. Uh, I guess that was yeah. his last start, I think. And, yeah, the movement he has, and, you know, it's, it's like watching Bueller. When, when I first saw him, it, he just looks different. It's electric, um, yeah. and there's not a lot of guys you see that come up that have that electricity but also the, the confidence and presence and command that those guys, you know, have, have shown at a young age, even though it has been a ton of starts for May. It's, it's a, uh, you know, he has a really high ceiling.
1: Yeah. It sort of worked out perfectly him in the rotation, uh, taking over for Kershaw on that emergency role on uh, opening day. So it's been fun to watch him. Um, I'm going to toss it over to Kevin real quick, who okay. I, I believe has a, a viewer or a listener question. Okay, yeah, we can start with the the viewer
3: question. This is actually from intern Phil, who's been on this show before. Uh, he mentioned that in 1998, you hit 35 home runs and you stole 35 bases. And he just kind of wanted, wanted to know what kind of adjustments you had to make throughout your career. You know, you became more of a power hitter, less steals. And then towards mm-hmm. the end of, end of your career, you got some more stolen bases again. So I guess kind of just walk us through with how you've had to make adjustments throughout your career.
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. That was, that's the thing is you, you kind of want to, as a player, um, you just want to contribute to to winning games, right? So if you're feeling it and you know you're, you're, you're not, you're feeling speed maybe and think you can steal some bases and help in that way, um, then that's a good time. Like late in my career, I was able to kind of go back to that because I wasn't, uh, I was, I was in a position where it was getting harder. If I had a couple of bad games, I was out of the lineup. And so I was like, "Look, I'm just going to spread my stance out, try to hit line drives over the shortstop's head, stay in the lineup, not not worry about hitting home runs, and uh, uh, you know if I can steal some bags and and kind of help get in scoring position. If I'm not, you know, driving the ball out of the ballpark, then that's a good way to to help my team. But my first few years in Toronto, I I, I played for aceto Gaston, and and he had he had the you know the reins on me pretty tight. I wasn't allowed to steal bases too often. I mean, I maybe get you know 10 or 12 a year, whatever it was and i'm um, sitting down the lineup so a lot of it depends where you're hitting the lineup if i'm hitting in a, in a spot where um you, know, you have a gary sheffield behind you or something like that i'm probably not going to steal as much um but then the year i stole 35 i was hitting second so i, I had more opportunities um to to do that so a lot of it just kind of plays into where you're on the lineup how you're doing and then it, i did find that st- trying to attempt to steal bases a lot it a, takes a toll on you as you know, at a 160-game season, um, not just the 35 times um, you steal or the however many times I was thrown out, but um, you just the whole mindset. like As you go into the game, you're, you're preparing more for a running-type season, and um, I think that got harder as I was getting older, and so I, I kind of backed off a little bit because my, my job at that point was to drive in runs and hit home runs, so I wanted to make sure I was able to stay on the field and, and be able to produce in that way.
3: Great. You've probably gotten this question quite a bit, but I want to know who do you think was the toughest pitcher you ever had to face?
2: So that question, that's an easy one. That's uh Mariano Rivera. You hmm. know, we came up the same year and he was the guy that when I saw him coming in, I was just like, I, I actually would grab, um, I wouldn't grab my best bat. I'd grab a, you know, <laughs> one of my bats. I didn't really like a lot because you there's a 50, 50 chance that I was going to, I was gonna, you know, break my bat, and another fifty percent was probably a strikeout. So he was the toughest guy for sure. I was kind of weird though; like I tended to hit some of the better pitchers better, and had a harder time against um, some of the mediocre pitchers. And I think one of the reasons for that is the better pitchers. I, I really tried to focus on, you know, what they were trying to do, and I think the better pitchers had such a good game plan that I was able to see that, um, you know, what their strategy was and and kind of try to hit to their strengths as opposed to a guy that maybe was a little more inconsistent and you come back to the dugout, shaking your head. Like, why did he throw me that pitch? That didn't make any sense. <laughs> um, but it worked.
3: Awesome. All right. My second question, and then I'll pass it over to David October 2nd, 2004. You actually were going to be the first run of what would be a 7th seven run bottom of the ninth inning where Steve Finley capped off the walk off grand slam. So I kind of want to just know, take us through what that moment was like and just how special it was playing for that 2014 because that's one of my all-time favorites
2: to watch. Yeah, that was an incredible season, incredible game. I mean, that, um, you know, we were in a place where it was, it was a weird season. We had, we were leading the division and by a couple games at the trade deadline and we thought we were making this big move to get Randy Johnson was kind of the rumor floating around. I don't know if it was in the media, but it was definitely in the clubhouse. And then we ended up without Randy, and we got Brad Penny who ended up getting hurt after his I think his first or second start. And so we were in this weird spot where we lost our all-star catcher and one of our team leaders in yep. Paula Duca. We lost Dave Roberts. We lost Encarnacion. I mean, we lost literally, I think, about a quarter of our first-place team. And so it was really this weird that we're trying to pull everything together and maintain it. And we started to fade quite a bit, you know, Maybe in August, early September, and then we sort of got hot and we're pulling off some comeback wins and just kind of maintaining a one or two game lead over San Francisco. Um, but you know, when San Francisco, they got Barry Bonds and you know the greatest player, greatest hitter of all time for sure, and you know that always always stacks. So um, we kind of saw them in our rearview mirror. All of a sudden, of course, we're playing them the last the last weekend of the year, and at this point, we're struggling. That we're up by one game. And uh they have a I think a, a three game, three run lead. I think it was a three runs. You you saw the game.
3: Three zero going
2: three zero, going to ninth, and we, we couldn't score, we were struggling a little bit. And I let off the inning and just two strikes. I just kind of flipped a little, you know, cheap blooper in the left field and got on base and and you know, you're always hopeful, but it didn't it didn't necessarily feel at that point like we were gonna make mount this comeback. And then, you know, all of a sudden run scores, we have got and, and, Guys keep having great at bats. I think the best at bat in that inning was Jason Worth. Had this at bat, he kept fouling pitches off, fouling pitches off, and eventually I think he walked. And then you know, once I scored, I was sitting next to uh, you know Jim Tracy and and uh, and Riggleman on the bench, and I, I felt like I was a little, a little eager again because I was so stressed out, so excited. And then he hit that first pitch out, and you know we all—it was my first first time winning a division, first time going to the postseason, So I was, you know, I was beside myself. Um, felt like a little kid. It was, it was pretty awesome.
3: Awesome to hear. All right,
5: David, the floor is yours. Thanks. Um, yeah. I got a couple questions for you. First would be, I'm not going to make you pick your favorite Dodger to yeah. watch, um, but who is your favorite non Dodger to watch in the MLB right now? It can be a pitcher or a hitter or, or both.
2: Yeah. I say going into this season, I really enjoyed watching I, I enjoy watching Nolan Um, mm-hmm. uh, But now the other guy that I, I just think is going to be insanely good is, is uh, Tatis. I think yeah. Tatis is, is pretty special. Um, just the way he, he moves around, he moves around like a, you know, 10 year veteran and you can just see kind of like I was saying, Dustin May has that electric type uh, presence about him. Tatis is, is the same. And I think, the, I think the Padres are scary for sure. especially, you know, for the for the Dodgers, you know, with all the superstars the Dodgers have, I I think the the Padres are are young and young and and hungry, and you know, it'd be an interesting series to watch uh, starting tonight again. But they're they're a good ball club.
5: Definitely, it'd be a whole different landscape if the White Sox hadn't traded Tatis for for uh, James Shields. Um, right, right. Yeah, they'd be have Robert and Moncada, all those guys um so second question would be does anyone in the MLB like who closely reminds you of yourself that's playing right now or or plays the game like you type type deal
2: yeah that's a good question I think uh geez I so I think physically it it would probably be Bellinger is similar Mm -hmm. um I think he's he's better defensively than I was um but I think from a you know, when I was his age, and you know, we were probably similar build and and uh, you know, running the bases and things like that. Um, I think our hitting approaches were were different. Our swings are very different, but um, you know, he had he had a you know pretty similar season last year to to my best season on the Dodgers. So I think there's there's a lot of similarities there.
5: Definitely. Um, okay, third question. So 2001, you had a had a career year. Um, but you also made the decision to sit out uh, for the Jewish holiday of, of Yom Kippur. Was that something that you were going to do regardless? Um, or did, you know, people like Sandy Koufax kind of set the set the example for you? Um, I know you've spoken on the past that, you know, you wanted to set an example for Jewish kids. Um, so what, what's, what was the insight of, uh, on that decision?
2: Yeah, so I... Up to that point, I had not had a conflict. So playing with the Blue Jays in mm-hmm. Yom Kippur never, never conflicted. Um, I did have a game one time. We were playing in Milwaukee. It was Rosh Hashanah. And I was hitting and Jesse Levis was catching. And the home plate umpire was Al Clark. And so we were all wishing each other a <laughs> happy new year. which is, And I didn't even know Al was Jewish. You know, Because mm-hmm. Clark obviously could be anything. Um, I knew Jesse. And we always joked around about it playing against some of the minor leagues and stuff. But um, that was kind of a cool thing. But then, you know, fast forward to, to LA, I, uh, I got to know Sandy, who's great. And, you know, I was, we went to dinner, you know, every, every spring he'd come, he lived not too far from Vero Beach and, um, you know, we talked about it and he just said, you know, you gotta do, I just, I did what I thought was right and you gotta do what you think's right. And, you know, it's, he's very unassuming and not one to tell people what to do. Um, right. So my, it was kind of hard at the time. I wasn't particularly religious, didn't grow up in a religious household. Both my parents are Jewish, and I definitely grew up Jewish, but I wasn't bar mitzvahed or anything like that. And but I, I just felt like, um, you know, kind of whatever I whatever choice I made would have sort of been a little hypocritical if I didn't play. It's like, well, I'm not that Jewish, I'm not that religious, so why should I sit out? And and if I did play, I felt well, you know, I do, uh, I do identify obviously as a Jewish athlete and one of them. So anyway, so I, I ended up playing, um, one game. Um, I played on Kol Nidre on, on it was a Friday night and then I sat out Saturday and, uh, you know, I think the decision worked out and I did hit a home run and we won by a run on Friday night. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so hopefully that, you know, I won't get in trouble for that <laughs> someday. Um, but, yeah, so I, that was the decision I made. And then I, I followed up on that the next uh, two conflicts I had, you know, once another time with the Dodgers in '04, and then another time with the Mets. But what's weird about it is it was, it was right after 9-11. So um, in 01, there wasn't obviously much, um, much talk about it because everyone was, you know, so focused on the much bigger global issue. Right. Um, but in '04 it kind of became a bigger topic, um, I think, because there wasn't anything uh, – else you know that was you know front and center and um people you know there's it was on like regular talk shows talking about just religion and jobs and all that type of stuff so that was a little bit of a surprise to me at that time but the first time it was it was relatively uh you know pretty straightforward
5: awesome appreciate it
2: yeah
1: sweet yeah of course so um I just I was sitting here thinking about um, that day in in two thousand two in Milwaukee, and I just I read somewhere I think it was this when the anniversary came up uh, this year that you said that at some point during the game Jim Tracy was thinking about taking you out after you had hit three home runs, mm-hmm. and I just remember reading that and being like oh my god that would have been like the biggest managerial blunder ever (laughs) having to take someone out before giving them the opportunity to make history what what was that was that decision more of like obviously you guys were killing the brewers at the time there was really no need for you offensively to be in that game but what what was the decision or what went into that decision what was that conversation like
2: yeah i think when you're in the in the game i think as a you know i'm assuming as a manager but also as a player you're not really thinking too much about you know, history or, you know, what's going on. I remember one time in Toronto as a rookie, I, I had to go pinch hit and I had, um, I think I had either tied or was like one or two away from the, you know, the rookie um, hitting streak record. Right. And I ended up getting a hit and, and got the the rookie record, which is, you know, wasn't too many, like 14 games or something, but um, it was still like, as a manager, he's not thinking that he's thinking about, okay, how can we win this game? Um, but in this case, you know, Jim, Tracy just, he pulled me, I mean, he's taking me out. He's like, you know, basically the rule of thumb is, you know, when you're killing the team, you want to get your guys out there, out of the game, get some other guys in that bad. And also, um, you know, prevent someone from getting hurt, in a, you know, in an unnecessary way. Um, so he told me, he's like, hey, Greeny, go ahead. You know, great job. He was just happy because I had been slumping so much up until that series. And so when he pulled me out, I just said, hey, you know, let me, let me just stay in in case a couple of guys get on. I'll get a shot at the fourth. Because obviously, you know, I want to hit four home runs. I knew I had threes. So um, it's not like a hard feat to to calculate in the middle of the game, like I knew. And uh, so anyway, so he left me in there. And and crazy enough, you know, with two outs in the ninth, Adrian Beltre, who's a good friend of mine, hit a, hit a home run, got me that extra at bat. And, and then after I hit one, um, Dave Hansen did. Um, but the other thing that um, you probably heard in that same interview, I, I find pretty kind of quirky about that day was, um, there's a promotion for the Dodgers where a fan could pick a player each day to hit for the cycle. And if that player hit for the cycle, that fan wins a million dollars. And the players, I didn't even know there was such a thing, and let alone that I was chosen that day. But, you know, had I missed home plate on that fourth home run, some, some woman had chosen me and, I, and she would have won a million dollars. So um, <laughs> wow. there's a lot of weird little quirky things, which at that point is kind of, I'm happy I didn't know because that would have been a tough decision. Yeah. And just
1: a quick follow-up on that. First of all, I thought you were going to say it, it wasn't that that hard to do hitting four home runs, but then you finished the sentence by saying hard to calculate that you had <laughs> yeah. three and needed four. But um, when you're obviously you're going up there, you not you don't have a lot to lose because the the game is already pretty much decided. As a player, how difficult is it? to go up to the plate with that in mind, knowing that that's what you want to do? I mean, does it put any more pressure on you uh,
2: while you're in the batter's box? Yeah, it's a good question. For me, I, so I, when I started figuring out how to hit home runs, um, it sort of happened accidentally in Toronto. When I started playing every day in 1998. I started Carl Delgado's who's a close friend, played 10 years together we started just kind of messing around, trying to have this home run derby to center field every day in batting practice. And that's really when I learned how to hit home runs It's like, you kind of practice it. And it seems logical, but no one does that. And so all of a sudden balls that were barely going on the fence are going a lot further. And so basically from like 98 on, I was in the game. Like I kind of trained myself to, to swing hard and to just, I was really trying to get a pitch in a place that I wanted. And then just hit as hard as I could kind of like in the air to center field. Like that's really what I, that was my approach as a hitter. And I would look for pitches and do all that type of stuff. But in terms of my swing, I was used to going all out. But I think for a lot of guys, their approach is probably different where it's, you know, um, a little more contained where I was, I used to try to call it kind of like controlled chaos is what I was. I was trying to like, just go really hard, but um, with a smart approach about it. And so for me, that's sort of what I was would do most situations, and it's maybe different if you have to get a guy over, if you get a guy in third base, and you're trying to get the run. In. Um those types of situations are a little different, but um, for me, it, it wasn't a big stretch to to try to go up there and, and hit the ball hard in the air. Yeah,
1: that's fascinating. Um, so, uh, just quickly before we let you go, um, I I just wanted to do a little bit of a shameless plug. So, you and I, we we uh, we've known each other for a while, um, and recently came out with an article on Dodgers Lowdown, which you can go check out. Um, Uh, It's a, it's a feature about Sean Green and and your uh, home run batting glove tradition. And I just found it fascinating how that began, how it wasn't always a thing that you did starting in Toronto, that it actually started in LA and that it was Vin Scully who kind of solidified that or made it into a tradition. Um, Can you kind of just describe, you know, what, what that day was like and how Vin Scully factored into it?
2: Yeah, that was a great article. I enjoyed reading it. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I I was new to the Dodgers. It was my first couple of weeks uh, as a Dodger, and I was on deck at Dodger Stadium, and I looked down, and I had a, a tear on my batting glove, and, you know, it's pretty far to go all the way back up. I didn't have time to have someone run in there and grab me a new pair of batting gloves, so I was like, all right, forget it, and I ended up hitting a home run, and I always tried to save any type of gear I had, because I was a kid. I was a baseball card collector, and and got autographs and I, I, I knew how I would have felt as a kid to get someone's batting glove whether or not it was torn or someone's crack bat or whatever so I always tried to be um, instead of throwing an old pair of shoes away I put them in a box and then try to give them out to someone and and so I just tossed them in the crowd and Vin on air said you know oh, I guess that's something that, that the new guy does after a home run and and say oh that's a really good idea it's a fun <laughs> fun thing and and then Mitch Poole who um, was the uh, one of the guys that worked in our clubhouse, he was the long time. He's been there for, you know, decades now. Um, he had to remind me because in the beginning I wasn't used to doing it. So I'd hit a home run and, and I'd go in the dugout and he'd say, Hey, he'd come out with, he actually would come out with a new pair of batting gloves from my locker because he's inside watching it on the, on the screen. And uh, so he'd come out and then the, that would remind me and I'd throw the batting gloves. And after that, um, it became a thing. And it was easy to remember because all the kids would come running down. You might've been, you probably were one of them running down at one point. Oh yeah. <laughs> um so it became you know pretty easy to remember after that and and it, it was fun to um you know to have that connection um with with the kids and you know sometimes like some adults would get mad because i throw it and they jump in front and grab it i'm like kind of point like no give it to that kid you know <laughs> um uh, some guys have told me that you know since i've retired but yeah
1: yeah uh, and I, I definitely was one of those kids. Didn't catch one until you were with the Diamondbacks. So I was, I was pretty pumped that I was able to to get at least one, one of your batting gloves. Um, so before we let you go, I just wanted to give you an opportunity because I know that you started this company called Greenfly in 2014 and you guys have been around for a while. Um, I just kind of want to, you know, let, you know, let people know about it and, you know, if you have uh, something to say about it and then also kind of like how it relates to what you've been dealing with in terms of the pandemic and how that's changed how you guys do business.
2: Yeah, no, I've always been really into tech and, uh, even when I was playing, uh, kind of a, a brief funny story. I was playing for the Diamondbacks. You know, I even was messing one day with, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm not uh, a coder, either, but I was messing with Luis Gonzalez's computer. And he, I just changed the setting as an Apple computer so you can make it so you can control it remotely. And so I just made it so I had access. And then he, <laughs> in between, you know, before, uh, you know, after batting practice, before the game, he'd be on there, you know, on his computer, and all of a sudden, I would start buying like Britney Spears albums and stuff like that. <laughs> and and uh, and he's like going crazy, and he basically went to the, you know, to the the head person there, and they almost shut down the whole internet at saying like, "Oh, hold on, it's me, it's me." You know, just just chill, because he thought someone was hacking into the stadium. But anyway, <laughs> um, so I've always been into that, and and so when I um, a few years after I retired from playing. I had this idea originally it was to create a platform for video Q and A because you know, people were still reaching out to me if someone hit three or four home runs in a game or, you know, it's close to it or something happened that was similar um, to what I had done in my career. And I said, oh, I'd be great to be able to get, you know, the right person, whether it's an injury and you get a team doctor or former players from other sports and have an injury and anyway, create a, a software platform. since everyone has a face of a camera and, in their pocket and so I built started building a prototype and uh, you know fortunately my cousin was working and moved out to LA super smart guy and he was working at Activism Blizzard and I said he got intrigued by what I was doing and I was looking for someone to run it I wasn't gonna tell him to leave this great job and come over to work with me on a startup but um, eventually he got really excited about it and uh, he came over his name's Daniel Kirshner and so he came over about six years ago and really turned it into a business as opposed to just like a fun little project. And now what we are we power like about 30 different leagues around the world. We work with a bunch every major uh, media company in some form or another and we're just a, a way for like in baseball all the content that happens on the field for the league flows through Greenfly our, our platform and then it automatically gets routed to the right people. So if the Dodgers playing the Padres tonight, there'd be someone at the stadium capturing all this, all this uh, footage photos and videos and that'll all for social media. And that'll all be flowing through Greenfly. The league will have access to that. The both teams, social media managers will have that. And then all the players will have access to content that they're in. And then as soon as the game's over, if I walk off the field, I I have, you know, my photo of me, you know, doing whatever and I could share it on social and our system tracks all that. Um, And then on the flip side, we still do have the the video Q&A type thing where um, in some cases, especially during the quarantine, people would get um, requests to say, hey, how are you showing us your workout from home? Um, you know, a lot of uh, work with a lot of media companies where they might talk about the show or premiere of the show saying, you know, to tune in, they could have a script on the screen that they're, that they're reading, tune in tonight, you know, the, to the premiere of season 10 or whatever it is. And so, uh, yeah, so our software powers all that and um, it's grown a lot and it's been, it's been a ton of fun.
1: Awesome. Well, this awesome. has been a ton of fun. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. And uh, we're, we're so thrilled that you were able to come on and like super cool insights. Um, and uh, yeah, any, anything else you guys want to add there, Kevin
5: and David? Thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, Dodger legend. And, and thanks for all that great uh, insight you gave us.
3: Yep. Appreciate Thank it. you, Sean Green. Growing up watching you was one of the most awesome things as a Dodger fan, but I just want to ask real quick. Yay or nay on Dodger Dogs?
2: And you want my real answer? Or, yeah. <laughs> well, we saw we saw your comparison. we just we just Unsensate. saw your face. We just saw <laughs> yeah. your face, your reaction. Good enough. Good enough. <laughs> they taste good. They taste good, but the stomach the stomach isn't young anymore. I can't.
3: It. <laughs> Perfectly <Okay>. fine. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, yeah.
2: What uh, about you guys? Do you like Dodger Dogs? Oh yeah, I actually I am a fan. Maybe I have bad standards, but no, it's not bad standards. You probably have a much stronger stomach than I do. You're younger. No, I, I used to love them for sure, but it's like now it's like oh, I don't know if I could eat one. When I was playing for the Dodgers, they have them, you know, they have them for you. I was like, I don't think mm-hmm. I could play tomorrow if I eat a couple of those. But. You know,
1: I I used to eat them all the time. I would never eat them not at at a ball game because I just love the way that it tastes when you're there, and you can kind of like taste the grease too that's surrounding you. It's just <laughs> totally. it's just perfect.
2: Yeah, for sure. No, yeah. it makes yeah the smells and all that stuff. It'll be, hopefully, you know, fans will get back, you know, sooner than later. But um, yeah, I think everyone misses all that stuff.
1: Yeah. All right, Sean. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate your time.
2: Yeah. See you guys.
1: Well, that was our exclusive interview with Sean Green. That was awesome. I loved how candid he was and uh, really, really cool to get some insight from him and to, to get his thoughts, not only on the 2020 Dodgers, but also on Dodgers, Dodgers, teams of years past, uh, what, what do you guys what do you guys take away from that
5: yeah I mean that was special to talk to him uh, I mean he was one of my favorite players if not my favorite player growing up um, you know that was he was super candid super nice uh, and, and very informative about you know basically everything we asked him so that was, was a great interview yeah I'm right there with David you know this
3: was a player I idolized as a young kid and going to Dodger stadium, getting to see him play. was always something special to see. And then I was also really excited for him in 2004, because as he mentioned in the interview, that was his first time making a postseason appearance. So it was really cool to get the inside of what that team was like. Cause I mean, for me, that felt like the first great Dodgers team that I got to watch.
5: Yeah. Just being born definitely. in
3: the nineties. Yeah. And yeah, the, the last thing I really liked was that little rumor he, floated in there about Randy Johnson almost being a Dodger. Imagine if they had pulled that one off. Oh my God. So yeah, David, I know you got some things to say about a certain team out in Texas. So get it going.
5: Yeah. I mean, if you, if you're a baseball fan, you saw what happened with the Astros yesterday. You should be as unsurprised as I am. Uh, There was a brawl. uh, The Astros hit Ramon Laureano three times in the series and twice yesterday. Uh, he wasn't having it. He tried to show the pitcher how to correctly throw a curveball. Then the Astros started John, John Adam. He gets to first base, and the Astros' hitting coach Alex Sintron, who was one of the three main cogs of the cheating scandal with Beltran and Cora, starts chirping him from the dugout and says, "Hey, like, come fight, come, come get this." Uh, and apparently, he said something about his mother. Uh, so Lariano just charged him, and it was a whole mess. Rob Manfred's going to botch the, su- the suspensions already, but I don't care about that. I just want to talk about how this Astros team is the most unlikable team in the history of sports. They get worse every single day. It's something new. The other day, Lance McCullers complained about the roof, used that as an excuse, as why he pitched so poorly. He gave up eight runs in three innings, and he blamed the roof. Uh, I mean, I just can't, I don't even have the words to describe how pathetic and just obnoxious this team is and dusty baker has the has the balls to after the game to say uh someone asked him like is, is the season spiraling out of control and he goes no no it's a long way from spiraling out of control it's like dusty i don't know if you're too old to be managing or you're just not witnessing what's going on it's a train wreck it's a dumpster fire and it is spiraling out of control you can't hit without the trash cans you can't hit without the cheating your pitchers can't pitch without the roofs being closed your whole team's hurt and your fan base is garbage
3: I just want to add to that real quick because there was a video that went viral of Garrett Cole pitching for the Yankees where that little pine tar he action. went to yeah. touch his hair, touch his hat, and his fingers stuck to the hat. And it's almost as if this wasn't something I had been suspecting of all the Astros pitchers the last few years. Verlander all of a sudden getting rejuvenated. So I think it wasn't just their hitters that were playing dirty. I think their pitchers definitely were doing something
5: schemy as well. I think if we were to check a lot of pitchers around the league, I think a lot of them doctor the ball. I don't think that's specifically towards the Astros, uh, but there. If anyone were to take advantage of it, it would be them.
1: If those, if, if Alex Cintron and a number of the other players that got in that brawl don't get more than eight game an eight game suspension like Joe Kelly got, I I, I don't know what, what I'm going to do. But the, but it, the whole. Rob Manfred has botched this from the get-go. And it was because of him that now you're having all these teams trying to police themselves, which is... justice, Right. And so if he had done the right thing and punished them harshly, not necessarily taking away the championship, although I would have liked that because that would have made me feel happy. But I think in terms of the players, like... If the players had gotten punished at all, I, I don't think you'd be seeing uh, what you're seeing right now. Uh, you may see a little bit of it, but I don't think you I, I don't think you get the Joe Kelly scene if Rob Manfred had handled this right. And now he's punishing, you know, Joe Kelly, making him an example. We don't know what's what you know what's going to come from the A's Astros brawl from yesterday, but it better be harsh. Because otherwise, it, it, it's just it, – I mean, it already is a complete travesty, but it'll just be – it's incomprehensible. Yeah. Did Jose
3: it. Altuve is so bad. I mean, <laughs> I let me just tell you his stats real quick. And that four-error game, that
5: was he's batting
2: great.
3: 182. He has a 260 on base percentage. His OPS is flirting with Austin Barnes' territory of a 609. <laughs> Whoa. And then, yeah, he had four errors against the Athletics or whatever he looks like a ballerina out there. He's losing like, no, it. Nothing losing he did it.
5: made any sense.
1: A ballerina would have been a compliment.
5: Yeah, I mean, he's slamming bats on the ground. Correa is too. Reddick can't get a hit to save his life. It's it's just glorious to watch. Frankly. Yep. And they play Join... the Giants. They play the Giants now. It's just like yeah. I'm sorry. To create I'm sorry. A rule with, uh... to...
3: Sorry Vegas suckered people into betting this team with the third best odds to win the World Series, but it's not happening.
5: Yeah, Alex Rodriguez, sleeper pick to win the World Series. Yep. I did pick them to, to win the, the AL West. So I did not. I picked the Oakland Athletics. The Oakland
1: Athletics, the juggernaut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've been awesome.
5: They're fun to watch. It's a shame Mariano's uh, going to get like 20 games for that. I mean, kind of, you kind of have to, but it's a shame. All I got to say is whatever Loriano gets, Cintron needs to get the same thing. If not more. Yeah. All right. I think that was a a higher standard.
3: Great episode today, guys. So why don't we just close it
5: out, drop some final thoughts, and then we'll be on out of here. My final thoughts are I think the Dodgers need to take two out of four from San Diego here. Uh, I think they need to pitch around Tatis uh this offense needs to get going at some point i'm not worried about it but it'd be great if they get going right now uh maybe take three out of four or sweep them uh but i'd be content with a with a a split here and and move on at at 13 and seven
1: i'm definitely looking for at least a three out of four i just i i i i don't want to i don't want to split anymore we uh, we almost got beaten 2 out of 3 by the by the Giants if it weren't for AJ Pollock and Mookie Betts coming alive in the late innings. It was really nerve-wracking there that we keep losing to the Giants and we've lost to them as much as we have this season given their roster. So, I want to I want to beat this team into a bloody pulp. I want to leave you guys with one with with a couple uh, little numbers here that I found interesting. So, the Dodgers are 11 and 5 and they're five losses. They've lost 3 games by a deficit of one run and Mm -hmm. two games by a deficit of two runs. So they are in every single game. And one of the big reasons is is that unbelievable bullpen doesn't get talked about enough. These guys are lights out coming in and shutting the door. Uh, Very few weak links there. So I just want to quell all the fears out there for Dodgers fans that this team is fine. Like we mentioned at the top, they're not even
5: playing their best baseball right now. So just, just hang in there. One more quick shout-out. I want to give three guys, actually four guys a shout-out. Blake Trinan, Jake McGee, Scott Alexander, and Dylan Floro have not given up an earned run this year. They've all been pitching great, and I can't say, you know, take out Trinan. I don't think anyone expected McGee, Floro, and Alexander to be pitching lights out this year. So those those guys deserve a shout-out. McGee, the guy
3: said they should sign. Can't believe people wanted to kick him out of town after he did a 16-hour drive to Los Angeles. Give the guy a break. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I can barely handle eight. Okay. So yeah, my final thoughts to close this out and then you guys can add on if you want. First, I made a weird facial reaction to what David said. Two out of four. Oh, come on. They got to beat this team. At least three of the four. We don't want to split. And it's good I, mean, I would du- hope so, but I'd be okay with a split. People got to stop overrating this team. I mean, they're going to get there, but they're not there yet. Perdomo, has a career eight ERA against the Dodgers and maybe Quantrill is going to follow him up. That's to be decided in that game. Garrett Richards just faced this team. He gave up four runs. He wasn't looking too sharp himself. And then between Paddock and Lamont, I think Lamont is actually the more talented of the two. He took a no hitter into the fifth or sixth against them. And then Chris Paddock, I mean, he has a career five ERA and he gave up four runs in his last outing against this team. So They can get it done at Dodger Stadium. I'm very confident in this team. Okay, it looks like everyone agrees with me. And that's this episode of The Incline. Thank you all for listening. We have a giveaway that I'm just going to drop right now. It's a Cody Bellinger Funko Pop. So why not put in your name for a drawing to get that 2019 MVP little doll? All you have to do is subscribe to The Incline. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram. You'll get all the details right there. And it could be yours. Thank you guys for listening. We're out.